Father Pat, could you tell me a wee bit about your, your background, you know, um, kind of schools you went to where you grew up and up in Wendy and like that? <clears throat> yeah, well, I, I, I did. I grew, I grew up in Ireland, born in 1945, and uh, went to the local primary school and then went to the to the local secondary school and uh, then after uh, went to work in the local factory and then had this crazy notion that um, God might want me to become a priest and then I wasn't too sure about that and I, I was going to go down to, to join the Divine World Missionaries and, and my point in the direction of the, the Far East, you know? And I had an uncle here who was a priest in, in, in whatever. And when he had that he said, Oh my God and he came over and he said to to me, Look, he said, I know you you'd, you'd like to be to do the go to go to the mission so go there. And I said, Well, yeah, I think if, if anything, I'm not really religious, I said to him, no, you know, I mean, that's maybe a great bet for the whole thing, but I just like to offer my services, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's when I kind of, uh, uh, when I came over here then, and the good bishop met me and said, what about you, what would you like, to, where would you like to study? And I said, well, if I was to go to college, I said, well, um, do I have a choice? And he said, yeah, you could could go to Spain or you could, you could, uh, and I said, if I have a choice, I'd like to study in Ireland because I'd be out of Ireland for the rest of my life if that's what God wants. And then of course I did, I finished at six years over there and then I was appointed first parish here in St. Colinkins and I was 24 wow. and uh, we had arrived here and I spent five years here. And uh, at the end of five years, I kind of said to Bishop Thompson, who was a really nice man, I said, you know, if you ever, if you ever thought you might like an outreach to the missions, I'm, I'm kind of would be more than delighted to, to have the opportunity. But I said, I'm not, uh, not worried or, or I'm not. That's just if you, if you thought, oh, that's great. He said, that's fine. And then he moved me from here to Coatbridge, <coughs> to St James's, Kirkshaw. And then after three years, he got me to go to, uh, go to Junior Seminary. And I went to the Junior Seminary in 1979, 78, 77, 1977. And in 1977, I went down to Little College down there called Lang Bank. And then I went up to Aberdeen to Blair's College. And then I said to the bishop a few times, you know, I, I had been listening a bit to, uh, kind of, mm, read a bit about Pope John Twenty-Third and about what he did when he was elected Pope and how he went to diocese, asked him what he would like. He said, well, send 25 priests to Latin America. There's no, there's no priest down there. 70% of the world's Catholics live there and are served by 11% of the world's priests. So, uh, so I said to Bishop, would there be a possibility of doing that? Ah, yeah, I said, well, <coughs> uh, Blair's closed then in 1986. And then he said, would you go down to Hamilton now too? And I said, oh, yeah, well. But uh, I said, maybe you'd consider again, maybe my request. 
We don't have it in anyway, except for see how it happens there. And I have done wonderful parish like Old Lady in St. Anne's. Cabs are terrific. Uh, and um, Parish Priest said, <coughs> You won't be here too long, you'll forget all about that. He said, Because this is great, you really enjoy it here, which I did. Uh, but I said, I, you know, maybe I'd, uh, maybe I'd have one more walk with the bishop. And then after a couple of years, I said, I suppose it's how well he said. After go to this, uh, go to the St. James Society. I said, I'd oh, go to the St. James Society in Boston. That's where they the headquarters. They mightn't accept you, he said. And I said, all right, that's be fine. They didn't accept me, that's great. So I had an interview over there. And they said, yeah, you're getting quickly, you'd be some use down there, all right. And then I, uh, 19, Christmas Day, 1990, 1988, I left Paris and said I'd be away for a while. And then, uh, what, two weeks later, I was in Ecuador. Oh. And then I spent six months trying, trying to learn Spanish. And I was all set to be a priest up in the Altiplano up near Lake Titicaca, where I met a priest who was kind of had an interesting apostolate up there. But the boss said, no, Paddy, you're not, I don't want you to go there. I want you to go to Peru. And, uh, and you're a country boy, and you, you, we'd like you to work in the mountains. So that was what happened. So I spent my whole ten and a half years in a mountain parish north of Lima. Wow. Was, and that's where, while I was there, <coughs> shortly after arriving, these three fellows were shot, they were killed, and they were beatified in five years ago. So the other fellows on the mantelpiece there, the uh, two, two Capuchins and the diocesan priest from Bergamo. And that's one of the priests like that responded to uh, Pope John the Twenty Third's uh, kind of initiative. He was one of the twenty-five that went, and uh, Sendero killed the three of those, and then they they intended to kill a fourth, but the fourth fellow survived because the bullet went through his neck, but didn't hit the main artery, and he survived. And he was at the beat. I was at the beatification five years ago. They were beatified. So those. So that was. Then I was there for 10 years and Bishop came out to see me and said one night, <laughs> said to me, well, would you ever think of coming back to Scotland again? Well, I said to myself, what, what am I going to say that? Well, I said, all right, if you find somebody to take my place, I'll come back. And two years later, I said, got somebody who'd like to do that? I said, okay, came back in. That's it. Mm-hmm. See, see if I can dial it back a wee bit. Seeing you were growing up in Ireland and things mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. did you have any like specific kind of interests at school, like hobbies, or did you sports there or anything like that? Oh like yeah, GA? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I played football. Yeah, I did. And uh, I was, I, but I cycled to school because I lived in the country. So I cycled five miles to school every day and five miles home. Went in the summer and uh, did a bit of running, like. And uh, sport was yeah big yeah yeah loved and right to this present time like I did love when I was cycling up to a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and uh, we'd cycle maybe sixty day sixty miles every Tuesday mm-hmm. and uh, so 
Gaspard, so from big part, yeah, a lover's here in still. And did you would you say you came from a kind of traditional Catholic family, and, and did the faith play a, a part in your life at a young age? I did. I think I, I, one of the things I had to, I like I was called after my grandfather, and uh, he was a farmer, and uh, and and we were great pals. We were big mates, and uh, people used to say. You don't belong to this family at all. You just head down for your granddad, and you're sitting there two. You're like two old men sitting together, and you're talking away. He, he was a bit of into poetry, so I'm into poetry as well, <laughs> things like that. And uh, he was uh, he was a, an old head, an old teacher at one point. But um, yeah, my father was a businessman, but he. Um, but, uh, I don't, you know, the kind of the, the thing, I think, but I, I helped uh, Archbishop Tartaglia mm-hmm. uh, um, as an ordination in Rome there, and he said, don't forget God made the first move. I don't know to this day, like how I, because I, I, I went to be an altar by one time, and the parish priest ran me. He said, no, you're too big. He said, I can't get a rock for you, go back. And then I made my way back, and I came back, and eventually became an officer. And I said, and my grandfather was, um, he was a gas man, but I noticed that when he went to church, it's a real, an old-fashioned family I came from, because they had a little house in Buggy, you know. And uh, it was uh, a church up to Mass, and I would be holding the reins of the house, and he'd be, he'd be gassing away, but when he went into church, it would change completely. My granny used to say, "Look at the side, look at him," and uh, and uh, I just said to myself, "That makes a hell of a difference to that fellow's life." And that kind of said, "Oh well, I met." Then I kind of, yeah, my father was a businessman. He wanted to be a millionaire, but he, you know, his health gave way, and uh, he was kind of reduced to and and. He had to discover for himself, like that, you know, making money wasn't the most important thing in the whole world. That your 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 family and your you know your changing uh, And I said, oh yeah, there you are. Mm. So yeah, had yeah the same thing. Like I, my mother used to say, you're 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 uh, you're very sentimental. I tell you, start you talking to that girl again now, and you know, mind yourself. <laughs> so, and things like that. So, I was kind of the fellas kind of one of my mates in class said that he was going to become a priest, and we got round him and said, Jack, he's down in Kenya. Jack, that's an illness you've got. Don't you bother with that. Make something of your life. And uh, and then kind of I said to myself, uh, Jack is gone anyway, and uh, I said, may I'll have a go at myself. That was it. Yeah. So there's no. Um, I still love it. I love. It. I'm really pleased that I did it. Mm-hmm. No, just this. So what do you think was the catalyst then? Do you, do you think you'd seen your grandfather in, in church and how the faith affected him? Yeah, but also. I, I, I've always had a fierce sense of fair play, you know, if I saw somebody getting hurt, 
teacher read, read in front of a fellow in class that, that wasn't maybe too, too bright. I kind of said to the lads, what do you think? That's not right. And we had different ways of kind of telling teachers that we didn't like that. And uh, kind of, uh, that was, that's always been kind of a thing I've, so when I kind of, I was a sucker for, uh, um, a sucker for kind of saying, yeah, if, if you can do something with your life, maybe being a priest. I also look at the local priests at home and say, those are smart boys and they'll um, imagine and look at what, how they live. How they lived was important to me. You know, you know. And um, and then the kind of, it, that kind of process repeated itself because when I went out to Peru, there was a young fella who was really smart. And he said to me after a couple of years, you go up into the hills, don't you, and you stay in these villages and you sleep anywhere or eat anything and you seem to be getting on all right and 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 um, I'd like to come with you. And I said, Isaac, <coughs> oh, I just had a message from him. Isaac, make something of your life, don't you bother with this kind of stuff. This is you could do something really you're smart, like you can become a doctor, you could become anything. But um No, I said Will you try? So he's the pickup general now in the in the diocese over there. Mm -hmm. But uh, and he's now into the scene, I suppose. He's into that now too. So well, what I did like is sometimes people would say like, I'm too great. I have got so much out of this in bread. And they're really pushing the boat out in Peru and being in danger because they said Sendero said they would kill four foreign priests. And they said, uh, and I was then the next time neighbors. The hill over the, over the back of the hill, they lived. And I lived this side. And uh, the people used to say, you know, you could get bumped. And I said, yeah, all right. And uh, uh, then people would say, Pazzi, those bad people are around. Uh, why didn't they kill you? And I used to say, Senora, I think I was too tall. Oh, I said, did you hear the bad way? He's too tall. That kind of stuff. But you had to kind of had a, what? I, I read somewhere recently, um, the healthy disregard, like for your own, for yourself, you know, without making a fool, fool yourself. So I did, I, I, and the more I pushed the boat out there now, the more I, I got, I got, um, I got a great kick out of it. So, I have a couple of questions about vocation. What does yeah. the term vocation mean to you in the broadest sense? And what surprises did fall in your vocation plan? The thing that set me off a bit was, I got the kind of idea that God calls you no matter whether you're a layperson or, or you're, uh, whatever you are, whatever role you have. And I, I've always kind of felt that um, if God calls you, then you can offer your services and you'll discover whether he wants you to do this or he wants you to, to, to be the father of a family or he wants you to lead a single life or whatever. But 
that's where I, I think um, so I kind of got into my head that was part of the things that the brothers did in, in the school I was at they kind of had a fierce sense of justice and then they said looking down at all of you fellas there were 21 of us in the class I think and he, he said you know God is calling each one of you now to do different things and we all met last year imagine 1963 that's when we left school and we all met last year it was a fascinating thing 16 of the fellas met in our town at home and we were all able to say how's the genre been for you what have you done yeah how many kids have you got yeah where did you end up and uh, three of us became priests in the, back, in the class the other fellow is, is down he's, 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 he's down in Africa he's in, in Kenya in Nairobi but uh, and we have we maintain good contact and we have good friends you know yeah Mm. And, and and was there any surprises that fall on your vocation, bro? Um, well, um, <clears throat> I think, uh, uh, yeah, I was really surprised. I when I when I when I was um, when I was ordained, I said to myself, "My God, yeah." My granny used to say, "You're a priest now." You be t you think you're a great fella. When you begin to believe it, you'll be in trouble. And I'd say, yeah, okay, I'm right, Grant. That's 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 good advice, all right, yeah. And uh, so, well, the yeah, other did you know what? I, like I came here, like, and I, I was here in 1974. You get very attached to when you're kind of priest. That I, we were never in the house when I started coming here. We were always out and about. And you knew everybody. Twenty-four. I used to play football out the road here, and the canon would say to me, "Look, son, you'll come in here one of these days, and they'll broke your leg, and you'll be no good to me, and you'll be right out the parish." And I said, "All right, okay, right." And uh, <laughs> him and Sweeney and myself, we came to Scotland at the same time. So that was, that was, that. I've been dead lucky and kind of a fortunate, I suppose, blessed, whatever, uh, in, the, in the fact that I was here for five years. The good bishop, the palace priest, died in 1974. The bishop said, I'd like you to go out to court place now to Kirkshaw, St. James's, and the man out there isn't keep very well and it'll be good for you. And I went out with a great time with, right, with four football teams in the parish. Under 12, 14, 16, and 18, with a discotheque every Wednesday night, with a folk mass, with the youths in Vincent de Paul. The place was, because he gave me, he said, you, 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 come. So all that, and then began, and then the bishop called me one day and said, um, we'd like you to, I'm going to, it's a great place, and to this day, you know, I know people there, and it's just, walking down the street I mean Court Bridge is amazing like that for me that you walk out on the street and everybody talks to you and uh, so the bishop called up and said Paddy I, I want to see you and I said oh 
It was Holy Week. And I said, will you come and see me on Monday? I said, it's Wednesday of Holy Week, my Lord, I said. I'm going to be, I won't be able to say a prayer on you, no, I wonder why, why you want to see me. So I, I went to class, come on over, he said, to see me now. And I went in, he's a lovely man, Bishop Thompson. And he said, I'd like you to go and teach in the little college at Langrack. Oh, I said, sure, what would I teach, for goodness sake. I said, you your head's in just for keeping your ears apart, he said. So some, he said, you could, you, you maybe, uh, how would I say this, that's what you want me to do, that's what happened. So, total change of role, like, in the Paris, starting to teach at the end of the summer of 1977. Again, he asked me to do this, what's called a farm master. I'm in charge of this young class, first years. At the end of first year, the place closed, and then I said, probably back to Paris. I know they said, you have to go to Aberdeen because you're the farm master of these guys, and you've got to keep them, keep, stay with them. And I was with them until they were left, 60. A few of those fellows are pretty surrounded, I suppose. But, um, so that was, an, uh, that was a, I missed the parish a lot now at that stage. Like, and and I, Aberdeen for me was interesting. Again, Aberdeen had a great football team. They won the Cup Winners Cup yesterday. Took that to the senior football team and all that stuff. So that uh, was Joe Boyd at play. And, uh, and then the terrible, you know, when I was okay, headed down to Peru. Not a word of Spanish, you know, to learn the damn thing. And then to see people saying, oh, that fella, he doesn't understand uh, what you're saying. Little kids would come along to start talking to me and say, Oh, that Fazri, hey Fazri, you don't speak Spanish very well. One little girl said, Don't worry, don't worry, Fazri, my mommy and daddy like you. I'd say, Okay, thanks very much. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> so that, and then the, the next jolt was the parish priest said, <clears throat> Paddy, you're not, you're not up here to stay in this town. You're going up, you're up in the mountains, that's your job. So I headed out. And they built a little house for me halfway up the mountain, made of mud brick and galvanized. And and then I made another little house for me right up at the top at 16,000 feet. And uh, used to go up there. It was no, not a lot of oxygen and so on. But, um, and then the horses, I, I used to ride horses when I was a young fellow. So that became, when Sendero cut really, we had to get rid of our jeep and we had to we used the public transport, which were the lorries, sitting on top of these lorries, the boards, cattle down below, women would buy goats, everything. And then uh, up, way up, and up, and up, and up, and up, and the thing, precipice down, beside the road, all this kind of dangerous roads, you know. And then way up, because a few people came out to see me. And they were, yeah. And then, and then we had to get rid of the jeep, so if the people from far old villages, I would go to a village and they wouldn't have seen a priest for 
since that one village hadn't seen a priest from there since 1954. What was the last time they, they, the old person said, Oh, we remember the Padre coming here, yeah. Uh, and continued uh, to stay with oh, I never got sick, thank God. No, continued, never got sick. Eat everything and everything. Flies everywhere, rats, fleas. But um, enjoyed the people. I was going to say, um, you'd mentioned the, the, the part there about fair play kind of playing a part in mm. how, you, how you thought. Is, was there a saint or a kind of scripture passage tied to that that you kind of, kind of defined you or inspired you when you were mm. you there with this? Yeah, um, I, 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 I really like Pope John the 23rd. And I, I also one of the priests in the diocese. I was here, you know, and, and the next thing he said, you know what, there's, um, there's, um, there's a bishop coming to, to St. Martin in the Fields in London, and Alan Mountbatten, who was killed, remember? Uh, he was awarding this Helder Camara. Helder Camara was a, the bishop of the poorest diocese in the world. And he was being awarded sixteen thousand pounds, I think, <coughs> for the man who did most for the neediest people on the planet, kind of thing. You know. And being Michael Conway said to me, who was a priest out there, retired, would you like to? Oh, gee, I said I'd be interested in going down and see him. So there is a kind of a, um, and you know, when you go down to Peru, then when you see like. That the organization where I was with, they, they only deal with the poorest parishes or places which, which could not sustain a priest or pay him anything or feed him anything. And, uh, and then that's where they, they, out in the shanty towns, I met up with a priest from New Zealand who was in Wellington. And uh, the fact that I was up up in the mountains with, with the poorest of people because when I arrived there there was a drought and then there they, they, they were rains and the, and the mountain you know, was full of flowers and then there were the, the, the Nino phenomenon which blew away all the, all the bridges and all the roads and people had absolutely nothing and uh, I just felt that that was a great place to be. I just, I just, and uh, not out of, and uh, there was no. I just said to myself, "Hey, this is this is great. This is great." Because I used to set out my little bag, and I'd have all that have was a good book. The implements to celebrate mass, and that was it. So I was totally dependent on the people, and they fed me. Fed me once a day, and never got sick. Great. Well, <laughs> that that almost can answer a couple of questions I've got. You know, in terms of where you drew strength from. You know, so they drew strength from the people and, and, and their faith. Oh yes, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. But also how you were received in in Peru and I guess Scotland as well. And it, it seems like you were kind of received very well. And you, oh yeah, yeah. Mm. You integrated quite well. Um, I guess what would, what would have been your, what, should, what was your kind of overall first impression 
of, of being in Peru and on the mission? Um, I suppose now, like, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a, a, a thing that's happened. When I, when I, um, I was going to work up in the Antiplano, you see, in Bolivia. It's a fascinating place. It's 5,000 meters up, freezing cold in the morning. Met a priest up there who lived on rabbits. That's all he had. But he, he could cook a rabbit in five different ways and it tasted differently. You know, he was cast down that hill. But um, when I came back to Peru then, there was a, a I'd, I'd become a friend of this fellow, although I thought I was going to stay in Bolivia, so that would be, I was with him during language school, you know. In, there, was, there was a language school in, in Cochabamba, in Bolivia, and that's where we learned our Spanish, a bit of Spanish. Which is only when we come back to the parish and talk to real people that we really got. It's like riding a bicycle, you know, you kind of wake up one morning after a year, year and a half, and you have it. And you can crack jokes and you can, you can, you can tell stories and things like that. So when, when I arrived in the parish, the, 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 uh, the parish priest was in trouble. Because he had said to the people, instead of um, buying a new dress for Our Lady, um, why don't you give some of the money to the hospital? There's no medicine in the hospital. And Our Lady would be pleased about that. People were annoyed. They said, Padre, Padre doesn't understand us. Our Lady will, if we don't, get a new dress for Our Lady and get a band from Lima and pay a couple of thousand dollars. We won't be lucky. God won't bless us. And I said, no, no. Well, we arrived anyway and they were going to, they were shouting in front of the church that the parish priest said, get out. And other people were there and they said, I've been not a group of people, the other side of the church. And they said, let the priest stay. And Jerry and myself, uh, uh, Jerry Bones, said, hey, this is a mic you see now to go up. The bishop arrived and they tried to turn his car upside down. But then he started to celebrate Mass. And a great big stone came through the window of the church. And he went down and he picked it up and he put it on the purificator and he asked forgiveness for the fellow who threw the stone. And uh, the whole thing came down. So, um, and that was the kind of line then we took in the parish, like that. Uh, we, we, what, what God wants us to live and, and have a decent little house and, and have a deep school, and we got involved in. We got involved in the. In, in agriculture and getting seeds for the people and buying seed potatoes and getting funding for irrigation and things like that and because we can do the, the gospel is about people's you know bettering their if we can if they can better if they, that's that was the message like who's going to who's going to improve don't be looking at us you're going to improve it but you'll have to do we'll be able to 
we'll be able to accompany you and so on. And uh, so that, uh, all that kind of, and then Jelly went up at, um, into a city and, and had a completely different pastorate there among the poorest people. Because uh, when, where, where I was, it was the richest fishing grounds in the world, Chimbote, where the Humboldt Cond came up from South America and hugged the coast and all these. The Russians had a big factory out in the ocean and that. But the people in the hills were, had been benefited at all from any of that. You know? so, um, and then I think a sense of humour was really important. You know, and uh, you kind of say, and you won't make that much of a difference. Like you'll be there with them, and uh, there's a yeah, yeah, that was it. Um, Father Vincent has asked us to to ask you about this. I believe that the bishop that I've been corresponding with was a former parishioner of yours. Um. And I guess, like, I, the kind of question I've written down sort of thing is, do you have any standout memories or stories from your time in Mission Peru? And given that that's their kind of our kind of link with supporting the projects this year, that's obviously quite yeah. an important one to tell. Mm -hmm. Well, we, I was saying to you, you know, that I did big struggle with the language, you know, but then. Um, I, I was so determined that, that I wanted to connect with these people that um, uh, the bishop then made me what's called an Episcopal Vicar for the countryside that I would visit the boys from all different nationalities you know, Polish and uh, I would represent him because bishop, our bishop divine came out, you know and he came up to the top of the mountain and then that got the local bishop who was uh, and he used a local bishop anyway he used to call to see us and I would um, he'd say Patricio I need to go into the mountains with you and I said yeah right and uh, so we did we spent a week or ten days in the mountains and he kind of said to me like um You know, um, one of the big challenges for us as missionaries is, and like Vincent now was great at that, I believe. You have to learn to think differently. You know, you're you're. Um, so you have to, you have to find out how they think. You know, a South American, Pope Francis, for example. Pope Francis is typical South American. And the hallmark of one of the things now that he has, that I can hear all the time when he's speaking, is he loves people, you know, and uh, and and um, and he has compassion and, and uh, for people, and he kind of and and uh, that's the, that's the big thing. Like uh, one of the things that people used to say to me um, fairly early on was. Patrick, were you sent here? And I said, no, 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 it's not my fault. I came here. I, I want to be here. Oh, we think you like being with us. 
I said, yeah, I, I do, you know, yeah, because I'm learning a tremendous amount from your people. And I think, I think that's, like, we don't bring, we don't go to, to bring the gospel. God is already there. You have to discover with them that they already experience God and bring it out. And they, they, they just, you know, so you'd, you'd, um, it, one of the things that I stopped reading like Matt and I was out there because I said and still do like uh, like Pope Francis like for example now like uh, he, he, I just finished a lovely book by a fellow called Loney about him uh, why is he why does he why is he the way he is so I think um Joe Bishop told, like you know, he he um, we were in, we were up in Aberdeen together, so he, he knows me, he knows me, I know him. We used to go to football together. In fact, we play football together. But um, he now is like you know when you read the letter that he wrote today, like to the priest, like and and the letters that he sends out, he's really journeying with the with the with the whole scene going on right now and I think that's that's one of the things like this you'd you'd um, the other thing is you never wore a collar or anything like that when you're up there you know, you're people would, you know so there wasn't any kind of um, the kind of you'd be you'd be uh, fairly early on people can you would can you say just a fat or would they say, will you come for your to buy to eat? So that's the point of the little girl on the side of the road down there. She said to me, Padre, and my mum and dad would just love you to come to have your dinner with us. And I said, don't I? We'd love that. And uh, they lived in the tiny little shack of a thing, just a stair uh, uh, and a go in and sit down. And, and the, the dinner was a little bed of rice and a fried egg and that was it. And they said, oh, and that the word got out then, the Padre it loves to be invited to go sit at table with us. And he, 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 you can say what you like to him, because he won't get upset. And, and, uh, and uh, I think that's one of the things like this, if we can, if we can, uh, that's how Jesus, I was broken out of the left. There's a mission here too, big, big mission here too. Mm. But, uh, what was your question again? It was, um, no, it was, it was something just, it was talking about kind of memories and stories of your time in the mission. And obviously, Vincent had said that one of the ones was that the, the reason we chose Peru um, for our focus project this year was because I said it always helps if there's a link. A link person sort of thing and he had said the story about yourself having known the bishop long before he was a bishop sort of thing so um, so we've got a couple of projects uh, one is a disabled children's feeding program another one's to build a new um, parish house in one of these kind of rural areas sort of thing so in Peru 
In Peru, yeah. Ah, yeah. Because, you know, Martin Chambers is another great player. He was my, um, he was my football coach when I was a kid at St John's in Stevenson. That's, that's where I'm, where I'm from. God's sake. He, he, um, and I, he was in school when I was in Aberdeen. And when I, when I, um, when I was up in East Kilbride, you see, one day, I mean, I'm come out after Mass and I'm seeing this fella sitting on the other side. And I wonder how is that, I wonder. His face looks familiar. His man. Man said, hey, he said, I'm going to, I'd love to go to South America. <coughs> I said, if you really want to go, you'll, <laughs> the bishop just won't say to you, off you go, because you're love. So he had to, Ask a bit, and eventually he totally enjoyed it too. Mm. He totally enjoyed it. Great article. So I think that's the thing, like that. Um, and and um, yeah. The and the bishop, you know, the bishop. We had a, every every. Um, I discovered, like in the villages as well, that. You have to find the person who really is the head of the community, and it could be a, usually it's a woman, the mamacha. And uh, uh, when I discovered that, like when Bishop Lucha, who was the president of the Bishop's Conference of, uh, of Peru, I said to him, he said to me, "You're going out to the party, are you? Yeah, I said, "I'm going out, yeah." We had the fishing village, you know, and I went out there and I used to go out there and two people came to Mass for two years. Two people, that was it. An old lady with sticks and a lady who was, who was the mother of five children by five different men. Chabu. So anyway, I'm, uh, I said to him, why is it so can you say so few people come to Mass? Then I was talking to Fisherman one day and he said to me, Patrick, you don't know there's a senora who who's the grandmother or great grandmother of half the fishermen in this village and you haven't gone to see her and you haven't asked for her blessing. Okay, so I went in to see her. After I'd done that, kneel down, she said, I'll give you my blessing. I went away home on holiday and came back. Church is filled. And it, not only did they fill it, but they built a little house for the priest. The whole thing is jumping now. And there's an old retired priest staying there. But that was the key. And I kind of said, um, I think it's the enculturation thing. You know, if you kind of find out how, how, the, what, how the thing works, you'll, you'll, you'll do well. And. Uh, he used to say to the bishop, he used to come there, he used to come every month for his supper and he'd be pulling my leg and when I went out for the beatification I could see him in the distance and I could see him looking and he, he's, um, he's retired of course and he has a small bit of dementia and he could see him looking and the next thing he must have said, that's, that's Patricia over there, that's it, come on I want to see him. So he came over. And he said, oh, Patricia, he said, one me. He said, oh, yeah, see, Monsignor, that's it. Uh, uh, that was. So I came discovering that 
into different villages. I mean, there were 75 villages in the, in the parish. Huge bloody place. A province. It was a province. So, um, and then with all the people, the lay participation, catechists. So you got there, and you weren't so much, you're, you're one of them, but you had your role as a priest. And then you kind of got other people to do what they are baptized and 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 to and, and get them working as well. And that's the other thing. There's a if you're going to do projects in Peru, it'll be interesting how you kind of undertake it. There's a place called Sikuani. Sikuani. Yeah. And the bishop there is. Well, the bishop that's been corresponding with was Bishop Bustamante. Pedro Bustamante. Yeah, Bustamante. So we've been kind of corresponding back and forth. Um, you tell, Padre, I'll tell you now, there's an coincidence, a real coincidence. Um, two years ago, I was, uh, there was, a, they were given all these medals to these missionaries, you know, just have been down there for under three years, you know, old fellow, like, but I went to this, in Cork, and when I went, here's this bishop, Pedro Bustamante, and he says to me, Patricia, I said, yeah, he said, you visited our village when I was 14 years of age, and you stayed for a couple of days, God, I said, that's amazing. Because that would happen, you know, you would go way up into the mountains and then people would say, there's an old dice with you. People would say to me, Padre, we haven't had a priest for 12 or 14 years. Because we're told, so would you come? I said, look, if you bring a house at 4 o'clock in the morning, when it's cool, I'll, I'll, I'll go. So I would head off, you know. Five, six, seven hours. Yeah, you'd say, Where well, is it? Just around the corner, Padre. So that's it, I met him now. Yeah. And you're going to Sikwani. And I tell you, that is, I've been in Sikwani. Some of our priests were up there too. One of them got killed on the road. How about that? Santo Tomas is one of this, the terms up there. What are you going to do up there? Well, um, not planned to go and visit as yet, sort of thing, because there's obviously this, and mm. this year we plan to, we usually kind of fund the project and then possibly go and see it the following year or the following couple of years, see how it's going on. But, um, so this year we plan to go to Sierra Leone in uh, June, but that got cancelled. So just, just because, you know, Vincent told us that story, about Bishop uh, Bustamante kind of having met you when he was 14 and stuff like that and now he's the Bishop of the area so there's a, there's a kind of wee nice a kind of nice flow into the story sort of thing that we got they asked to establish contact with um, firstly with somebody over the St James Society in Boston and then they put us in touch with him and he said look we're going to choose Peru this year as our focus country to shift away from Africa for you, but because mm. uh, I know Africa's got probably the, the, some of the greatest need, but just to kind of ch change it up a bit. So 
we chose Peru and we said, look, if you've got a couple of projects you'd like funded, tell us what they are and, and tell us the specifics and things like that. And he's, he's pretty much done that, he's tried to do bits and bobs, but... Um, Fancy that. That's so one's, one's a, a feeding project, a programme for disabled kids, and the other one's uh, a parish, uh, to build a new parish house in one of these rural areas. Now you can, you can maybe shed some light on this because if you said to someone here, oh we're using, we're using the money to build a parish house, they may get a different reaction in Scotland as to what that reaction would be in Peru. Why, why is something like that, um, why is that important? Why is it important to build a, a parish house in a rural area? Not just obviously for the, for the priests to live there, but why is it important for the, for the people, for the Catholics around about it? Um, it, it because of, of, of presence, presence. Do you know when it did like the thing about uh, the thing about about um, the, the reason why the people built a house for me halfway up the mountain was that then they knew I would stay with them, you know, and I'd live there, and I would live there for weeks, and uh, and. Uh, and then they gave me another house at the top of the mountain. The one at the top of the mountain is an amazing place altogether because I'm sitting in this little house halfway up the mountain, or sitting in the chapel. I'm sitting down, the next thing this fellow arrives, and he's all dressed up. And I kind of look at him, and I say to him, uh, then I looked behind me and he had five bodyguards. He was the Minister of the Interior. Oh, I said, Dr. Alvaro, see? Oh, I said, uh, it's lovely that you come to see your people. Oh, yeah, ask for me. Oh, I know, I said, yeah. And because they, I met people that know you and, and, and talk about you, oh, yeah. And then he says to me, see all that? those statues and I don't believe any of that. I said, sure, that's all right, I said. And you're a very powerful man. And if you were twice as powerful again, you couldn't believe it because believing is a gift. Oh, yes. Yes, well, yes. So I then, he goes away like, and then two or four days later, I meet him on top of the mountain. I pass away, he said, I've been praying for the gift. And I said, that's great. I said, but look at the way your poor people are living. They have nothing, I said. All their canals are broken. They can't uh, grow the sufficient food to keep them alive throughout the year. Look at He gave us $200,000 to build. Uh, to, but he said, will you be around? I will. And there's none of that money now to go to. Um, to building um, public monuments or anything, he said, will it all go? I'll, I'll make sure that it's that's it. So every every cent of it went to, uh, to 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 repair the canals. And then when I went back, <laughs> um, they just got electricity like a, maybe ten years after I left. And then they were, when we went back up, and here they are, their, their, their canals are working all right. But um, that's the thing, like that I would, uh, 
but it would be important. Uh, why, why to build a house? Because what will happen is if the priest goes there, in fact, it could be the priest that I know who's just joined the St. James Society, and he's from Peru, and uh, he's the guy that used to come into the mountains with me. He might be going up to Sequani because David Costello is the boss of St. James Society. Um, the presence, the priest living with the people makes says they just feel so good to break your heart. You've probably touched upon some of this, but what do you think are the most important qualities or characteristics that a missionary has to possess? Mm, yeah. Um, well. I suppose he has to say his prayers first of all. I think that's really important. And uh, and then you know um, he, if he, if he he's got to be happy, you know. Um, and then uh, like what are you a messenger of? People used to say to me like things like, "Oh, Patsy." Um, Being there, like, and being happy to be there, is really. Martin James was the same. Like, the people just loved the fella, because not only was he there, but he was happy to be there, and he loved the people. And um, and I think that's the the, the the missionary isn't kind of bringing God to the people. Like he's going there, and he's going to be there with them. Solidarity, no, um, and enjoying it. You know, I mean. People would say, "God, I had a great bloody time altogether," because I hadn't a care in the world, and uh, and I discovered that there are, I didn't need things like all. All I needed was I, I did need a good book. I always brought them. I read uh, some cracking books like Don Quixote de la Mancha and La Miserable and Dostoevsky and all these. And because uh, they'd be a bit difficult, and, and with the help of a candle, you'd be reading them. But um, I say the the missionaries, yeah. Mm. yeah, I think that's I think that's a big thing, you know. That uh, and then it's not what you give, it's what you receive. You get a great, uh, and then you get another a missionary like gets another. It comes back. I'm sure if you when you talk about him, as well, or any of these fellows, <coughs> you you you've seen the world through different eyes, like, and um, and uh, I mean, I think that's I think that's one of the big things about it, yeah. Um, but um, I would have been equally, hopefully, been equally happy to to be here. But when the bishop gave me the green light, and I got there. 
I, I say to myself a few times, she's about to bitten off more than you can chew here, brother. You're, you're, um, but when your back's to the wall and you kind of, uh, you know, I think it, it helps you a lot. But that'd be great if you, when the, and the question of the house is a really good thing now, because the house won't just be the house for the priest. He'll have, that'll make, that'll become bigger. There'll be something like maybe there'll be a pharmacy, uh, you know, and he might he might have a, build a little hall. <coughs> but the fact of the priest going, there's a fella out there in Lima, just outside Lima, and um, he went and, and that bishop I was talking about. He went and set up his little house with the people, and from that a community comes into being. You know, the priest is able to. Commodores are a big thing in, 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 in Peru. Commodores are common kitchens, you know? And what the priest usually does, what we could do, would be you would buy you would buy flour, you'd buy oil, cooking oil, you'd buy soya, and you'd buy a, a little uh, you'd buy a stove and and basic instruments and you'd hand it to the people and say, Now look this is a kitchen and you can you can now set up a commodore and uh, people will eat much better because one of the so you and that kind of brings that makes community you know yeah I had no there was an old sister with me she thought she's younger than me now but anyway it's at that time one adventure from from Chile and she I said sister they look at the area and not about town look as it because they, it's a whole series of shanty little dwellings and people that come in from the countryside and they're trying to get gold. I said it's abandoned, would you go in there? If I will, she said, but you stay out and I'll invite you in when I've got them together. And that's what she did. She went in, started them to look cook for each other buy a bag of flour instead of going and buying like leaped up what you call of the, the kilos of flour and gradually they, their conditions improve and then you can see it like you could you know Lima now is, a, Lima is, is an amazing city but like parts of it now there were shanty towns are now middle class areas people have built schools and clinics and the electricity so the priest re residing with the living with the people yeah the blessing of presence that's what you're you're doing by giving a house because another thing that happened was um, I, I the bishop said I want to give you a, a community of sisters he said to me one day oh I said that's great article they're from Mexico he said good they're all young, right? They go into the mountains with you. Oh, so of course these Mexicans arrive, and they're they start whistling and they start playing guitars and they start. They said, "Where are you going?" I said, "Going up, up halfway up the mountain here now." But I said, "I'll buy uh, the, uh, ten chickens and we'll bring them up because the people don't have a lot up there and." They would kill the chickens and cook them, and they would have all the people sitting around, and and they knew they were of the people. Do you know what I mean? And uh, 
so again like <coughs> being able to share our life with people is a great thing but Bonaventure then she made a community out of all that of um, like uh, people come what's called uh, it's called the invasions you know what happens they're overnight people come in from the mountains and they all kind of stake out a little patch and they set up their house that's it amazing amazing if you haven't been down there you'll feel you'll, you'll really, your eyes will be your eyes will be up like organ stuffs they got a letter the other day from a fellow who was he was called to the bar in dublin just a barrister very nice family and so on and he said to somebody in dublin i want to go um, I want to go to Peru, but I want to go where there are no, there are no, no tourists. Oh, he said, there's a fellow out there, and he hasn't seen the tourists since he arrived, and he's up in the mountains, and that's it. So he arrived. He was absolutely amazed, absolutely amazed. He keeps corresponding, saying, that's the best holiday I ever had. Yeah. Come on, folks. Yeah. Well, so what else would you, what else did you... So that's a really interesting if Pedro Bustamante is mm-hmm. she the beneficiary of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So <coughs> I'll just I'll just check if it's still running. I don't need any more part of it. Mm. Yeah. Because something there. Yeah. Yeah. So just kind of working, working alongside him just now. Trying to get some more specifics, trying to get a can, you know, some more kind of better pictures and things like that that we can use. Hopefully, if the you know the Catholic Reserve and stuff like that's back up and running, we can put articles in and try and drum up some support and, and raise raise some money. You know, the money this the money for the project will already have been set aside, but this is you know the Mission Sunday money is going to be. You be down this year kind of massively. Oh, yes, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Just because of circumstance. And just on that point, have you had much Peru from what I've read and, and online and stuff like that has been hit really hard by the COVID thing? Have you had much correspondence back and forth with people that you know about the situation there? There's a very good article in the Far East uh, this month about how the poorest people are suffering. Because what happens is, uh, there's a section of society in Peru, and they they earn two billion dollars a year. Tiny, tiny group of people, and uh, and uh, and the, but the people that are uh, they just can't get at the oxygen like it's out of their reach. No, if you get COVID, you just can't get oxygen because it's too expensive, and uh, the price of everything is related to COVID has gone through the roof. So it's out of the reach of people, and so that's why it's. Um, your man said uh, there. He's like. <coughs> um, that's what he just said there now, I think it was yesterday. Um, let's see. Hmm. He's here now. Um, 
Isaac Robles Mekia is the fellow's name. me in Spanish but um so that's uh, yeah COVID is really hot and now that's that's really you know and that's just so that's why we had a pharmacy in the parish as well where I was Okay, but I'll follow it, I'll follow it on. I'll give you that article now, I think I know what I'll do. I'll, 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 I'll follow it on it, because they said that Peru is one of the worst, the worst hit South American countries um, mm. by itself, so that's obviously, it makes upon projects in the country even more more important this year. Oh yes, I so know, that's a great, and it'd be great for you like to be able to say that. Yeah, and I definitely know. Because we, my my university degrees in Spanish and French, so oh, right, yeah. if we did one day go out to Peru, I would be comfortable enough communicating. Oh, you would do it, yeah, you um, would. Even though I know there would get different kind of languages, like their own indigenous ones, like Guarani and stuff like that. But um, no, it's so I've, I've been kind of keeping, I've been kind of keeping tabs in the country since we, you know, we decided to do it, and even though you know, I'm, I'm technically furloughed so I'm not meant to be working and yeah. I've still been kind of keeping things ticking over in, in the back because we've got a small staff at Missy there's only four of us really and then Vincent mm. and mm. only two of us are full time so, so, so that's that but, um, I mean we need to, I've discovered a great way of going to Peru now and that is um, you can you should go to Madrid. There's a direct flight from Madrid to Lima. Mm. One o'clock in the morning. And uh, it doesn't mean it means you don't have to go near the United States. Mm. But um the, the uh, yeah. I just have a few few more things that I keep for too long. I don't know. Yeah. But just if you could boil it down, what would you say the term mission means to you? Um, yeah, well, I, I think I, I think everybody is a missionary. Like you're a missionary of what is going on in your heart, and you know you, you it comes across, you know, and uh, and and. Uh, you you live from the inside out so I've always kind of found that expression interesting and uh, so it's it's what in your heart and then it's like uh, what you what you aspire to be and and it, I suppose everybody's a missionary more you know whether they like it or not but if you want to be a missionary like uh, friendship is important like uh, if you're a friend of God, like, um, 
and just uh, uh, begin to kind of see the world through his eyes, the more you kind of get into that whole thing. And it's uh, and so you you become uh, see the, the poor the poor, poor people have a thing that um, I used to see. Uh, Yet people would say to me, Ah, oh, Paddy, don't leave us orphans. And why, why are you here? I just want to tell you that God loves you. And that, uh, you know, and because he loves you, get that into your heart and your head. Because if that happens to you, you'll take care of each other. And and that's, that was, I think that was my, that was my kind of, uh, the whole thing would be, why would you become involved? Don't do it for me, do it for the Lord, and the Lord is mad about you. But you have to kind of, uh, and then you'll be a missionary of that message, you know. Not only will kind of come true in everything you do, in the way you talk to people, and the way you live. And, and uh, so, that, uh, and I think that's, that's, that's uh, like that, that, and that's you know to be to feel that, and you'll you'll feel it if you go down there, like you know, because you'll be you. You'll <coughs> one of the old sisters said to me, Paddy, if you didn't pray before you came here, when you go up into the mountains, you'll pray. I'll tell you, because you won't be able to tell anybody else how you feel or anything like that. But God will know, and you'll know that He knows. That kind of thing, you know. So, I think that's it. And 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 you know that uh, the whole thing is that if that happens to you, then then you know you, you know you've just become a happy guy, you know, a happy person. And, um, I guess in terms of you know ourselves, that charity, we are the Pope's charity for missions to support mm. mission projects and missionaries all over the world and. From your perspective, why why would it, why do you think it's important for people to support Missio Scotland, for example, and, and the Pontifical Mission Societies all over the world? Yeah, because um, uh, uh, that's another thing like this. Um, when when uh, when the argument comes up, like, uh, but we need our priests at home, or we need we need to, I mean. Now with the COVID and and the whole kind of situation, an awful lot of people are going down the road of saying, "We got to look after ourselves now." Oh, do we don't have, we don't cut aid to everything like the government like you cut aid to, and they said, "No, we can't. Uh, we, can't we, we can't get too involved now with helping people after that. We've got to recover ourselves first." And. It, it, uh, uh, but you see, that's we give out of our own need. You know, if you go back in history, of what happens in what happened in Scotland when people were at their poorest, like this church was built in the hungry thirties, when people had nothing, see, and and but they, they gave, they gave to God. As long as you do it to one of these, the least of my brothers, you do it to me. So would you forget the Lord in his poverty and, and uh, cause that's one of the things that Hilda Kamala said. 
<laughs> that we've been down to see. He said, people are getting upset, he said, about a desecration of a church. But Christ is, is, is desecrated in all the poor people that are around, around. And that's, you know, that's, that's, that's what. So why would you? Because the poorest people, Pope Francis is always saying that now, and it distorts people, and it annoys people. And he's never going to get a good press because the press is controlled by all the powerful people in the world. So he's not going to get the kind of gold these kinds of fellows are going to. That's why he gets such a hard time at it. But, but you know, the, the whole idea is uh, uh, why are we where we are? We, God loves everybody, but he loves uh, poor people especially. He keeps telling us that like that's the gospel like and uh, and uh, children as well like you know God loves children like you love all so can you can spread it out like if you kind of restrict your your then you'll begin to think small and you'll be able to you'll be able to say I shall hold what value of poor people and that can forget about them and what about uh, the whole idea of, of disabled people, I shouldn't forget them as well, I don't know you to anybody. So that when you begin to think like that, you have to have a big heart. To be a missionary, I think you have to have a big heart. And that's why Scotland, even though it's in, even though a lot of, and, and I suppose that's, that's the message as well, like maybe from Skiaf and from, from Missio, is, uh, yeah, we really can't forget the poor people on the planet. So and I, I, I guess with the kind of like right to the Pontifical Mission Societies, there's the whole kind of idea of universality that never kind of breaks it. That's right, yeah. because that's like what is the church like? We would we would say, well, well, well the church is, is 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 the heart of God, and the church is is meant to uh, to to portray God to the world. And what is a God that a God who loves everybody and loves us when we're involved? I used to say like to people, if you don't work for me now, uh, uh, work for the Lord and we'll work together. You know what I mean? So you could say like, uh, uh, why am I giving twenty pounds to to Amicia? Because really, I'm giving it to God. And there are good people who will use it in God's name to help people. So you take the organization out of it, like, in a way, and you say, yeah, what does God want? And you say, that's it. That's what his church wants. And that's why the church is just one great big family. And what, does, what happens in a good family? Everybody gets loved, but if anybody is struggling or anybody is sick, mother or father have a special love for them until they get up and walk with the rest. That's the old thing, like, you know, helping people to get up and walk with the rest, I think that's it, and to participate. Yes. Well, that's just a wee add-on question, just when I was looking at the, the kind of models up there. Mm. Were you never, when you were working in Peru, were you, were you, did you ever, were you ever scared? Were you ever worried for your own life or safety or was it mm. something that you just because a part of the hazard of the job or? I was scared alright 
but I had to kind of sit down and say if fear can paralyze you you know fear kind of. so you had to say okay I'm scared I'm scared of the in an injection the doctor might give me I'm scared of heights and dangerous roads um, if if I think you have to die it's a strange thing to say you know I think you have to say if it happens today it happens get out and do it and then there's, there's a freedom in that do you know there's a kind of a subtle uh, in advertising on television and all that I can feel that if people can make if, 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 if insurance companies and people like that can make people feel insecure then they've kind of controlled them you know so fear can control you so it's like playing a game of football if you're afraid you're not good and uh, you know and if you don't uh, and if you kind of don't get into a tackle you're, you're going to get your leg broken so you're, you're, you're I think you have to conquer fear that's it I know I was many times scared some of the roads were deadly fears and and some of the people you met and people would be talk, talking to you and <laughs> several times I suppose I was nearly killed I was nearly killed anyway one night because I was on a horse and, uh, and horses are and a mule is a much better animal to ride because they're very sure footed but a, a horse can be silly like and he can um, stumble Anyway, I'm walking along and it gets dark. The sun falls out of the sky and for like from five, ten minutes. Just, just pitch dark. So we're walking along this path and there's a river below. And next thing the horse stops. I say, why did, why did the horse stop? And the, the path had been just wiped away. If the horse just went another three or four steps, he'd gone down into the river. And I was going with him. And uh, so I, he stopped and I kind of said, I wonder why he said, no, he won't go. I get off. The next thing I see, the road's gone. And then the people come back, said, we're waiting for you. I said, yeah, but look what happened. I said, okay, right. And we kind of do a circus. So you would, you you know, things like that would happen. But then you'd have to, if that became traumatic or sorry, then you'd you know you'd have to go home. We've never we were told like that if you if you you can get frightened and if if fear dominates you, you have to go home. Go ahead, get out. And one of the things a doctor said to me, said said to us in the kind of amusing things that the doctor said, like for fellas, if you can't sleep at night, get out. I could sleep anywhere, anytime. <laughs> no melody to me, nothing like that. But I did, I did. And that's what the boys said. When the boys used to visit us, especially, especially the little fella, Espignia. Um, um, he, he was 30, 33, he was 33. Miguel, the big tall fella, he was 30. Um, I used to have a beer like that when I was there, see. 
and uh, people would say, oh, she's you know, very like me, yeah. And I'd say, well, no, but um, uh, so uh, he's being here, says to me, are you scared, Patty, Patricia? Yeah, a little bit. Actually, I think we can manage it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Are you scared? Yeah. But they were the, like they were taken out, they were in this little chapel on a Sunday afternoon and these fellas arrived and took them out into the square and started to interrogate them and then they put them into a jeep and then they took them across a little river and then they shot them. But, um, the, so, but you have to, like I would, there were was, was strange things happening in Peru at that time of day. One of the things that the government used to do was to frighten people was they would come into a town and they would block off the streets and they'd collect ten young fellows and they'd take them out into the country and they'd shoot them. And um, so Jerry, who was big and we become good friends with Jerry, um, Jerry says to me one day, he called me up and he said, Paddy, you've got this jeep, haven't you? Yeah. He said, can you come with me? I said, what? Where do you want? He said, look, Ten of my young people that have been carried away. The, the army took them away. I think I know where they are. I think I know where they're buried. Okay, will you come with me to kind of try the desert? I said, okay, right, sir. I said, you know what? See if we discover them. We'll be put in beside them. Okay, we went drove and drove and drove and drove around. And, um, He now phoned me and I said, okay. But see, a couple of years later, he called me again and he says, I know what they are. The sand erosion, their garments appeared above the sand and discovered they were there beside the road. So that was, that was kind of scary stuff. That but like that, you couldn't not do things, you know. Because I used to, when the, when these fellows were killed, there was a there was a, a looked like John Paul, big slab. He was a, a, he 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 came to replace them. Stanislaw, Stanislaw, Patricia, yeah, you coming to see me? Yeah, right. So we go up into the mountains to his palace. Patricia, stand up straight. You representing the bishop around here. Come on, we'll start right now. So I used to go and see everything. It's still there. Imagine, 20 years later. Capuchin's there. Yeah, so fear, yeah, fear is. Yeah. Manageable fear, yeah. <laughs> That's my thought. Missio Scotland is a Scottish branch of the Pontifical Mission Societies, the Pope's official charity for overseas mission. To learn more about the work of Missio Scotland, you can visit our website www.missioscotland.com. You can like us on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash missioscotland. You can also follow us on Twitter, missio underscore Scotland, and on Instagram, missio Scotland. If you would like to donate to Missio Scotland, visit www.missioscotland.com slash donate.
You can also call us on 01236 449 774 or send donations to Missio Scotland, 4 Laird Street, Coatbridge, ML5 3LJ. Please keep us in your prayers. Thank you and God bless.